Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Just hands up that that slide, who, to anyone who that slide has no meaning for. If you don't understand what that slide says, please put your hand up. Okay. A few years ago, there was a TV series called Friends. And in it, one of the guys was called Joey. And Joey's an easy, nice-going guy. They were very close friends. And in the one particular episode, Joey's getting really... He, he was a guy who dated all the women. And he was getting really serious about this lady. And he takes her to dinner. And about halfway through the dinner, she reaches her hand across the table and is going to take a chip off his plate. Now Joey's face just goes like thunder. Joey doesn't share food. And I kind of... It's, it's light-hearted. But it has a very serious message about it. That was an idiosyncrasy about Joey, a part of his life he would never share. And sometimes I think we've got parts of our lives that we think we we should never share with God. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about the series we're on right now is what? Go. And today I have the privilege of being the last one to speak on the series of Go. And so what is it we're holding back from God when He says to us, Go. And the answer is we shouldn't be holding anything back. That's my preach. I can sit down now. <laughs> so for me to fulfill Matthew 28 requires a wholehearted attitude towards serving God. You can't do this thing half-heartedly. You're either in or you're out. And God requires that we're in. The story I'm going to be using today to illustrate the next part of um, Go is the rich young ruler. We all know the story, and we'll read the scripture in a moment. But this story is recorded three times in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the story. And in reality, if you read all three of them, they bring through different little innuendos around that story. So I urge you to go and read all three. I've chosen Mark, because I think Mark does it the fullest. Okay? And we're going to read it quite carefully. And we're reading from Mark chapter 10. I'm reading from 17 through to 30. It gives you the whole context. I'm not going to speak to all the verses, but I'm going to speak to the ones that I consider to be the key ones. So if we can move along, it's Mark 10, 17 to 30. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I just want to expand this little piece, this verse a little bit, because there's a context to this. In those days, they never called anybody good. The only person good was God. And Jesus' response to him in, in, in verse 18 says to him, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So if I listen, read a lot of the commentary, some of the guys are saying he's a, he's a little bit almost mocking Jesus when he says good teacher. Yet he's prostrate before him. So it's a little bit of a, an almost an oxymoron type situation. And then he says, he, and he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You, make no, you, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Now he's just pulled a handful of commandments together. But what he's really saying to this guy, you know the Mosaic law, obey it, live it. And this guy's response is interesting. And he said, teacher, 
And I see he's now stopped calling him good teacher. He says, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. It's important. I've never picked that piece up before. There he, and Jesus knew what was in his heart. He knew what was coming. And the scripture says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Just a little context there, and I'm not going to be preaching on to this verse, so let me just give a little context about this. It was well believed in those days that if you were wealthy and highly regarded, you were destined for heaven. And there was this linkage between wealth and godliness. Okay. And this is where Jesus kind of debunks that and says, this link just does not exist. And they're exceedingly astonished to him and said, who can be saved? And that's why they were astonished. Because they're saying, here's this wealthy guy, ruler. And we'll talk a little more about him in just a second. And they said, well, if he can't get to him, what, what help is there for the rest of us? And then Jesus says to him and says, with man it is possible, but not with God. For all, sorry, with man it is impossible, but with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold, when? Now, in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. And the next two words we don't like. With persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. So it's not that we do this thing so that we can become impoverished or whatever. It's we do it because it's a be, being obedient to God. And we know God outgives us in every turn. So we know the scripture, though, is not about money. Do you all agree that? Money is mentioned. And money is merely a metaphor for that which is what is most important to you in your life. And so really what the scripture is about is about obedience to God. We're going to talk about that. So talking about our rich young Eula, what, what, can we under, what do we know about him? What can we understand? And as I studied in several commentaries about it, what was he a ruler of? The Bible doesn't tell us. Now in those days, of course, Rome was ruling in Jerusalem. So he wasn't a governor or something like that. So we surmise that he probably served on the Sanhedrin. He was possibly a Pharisee even. Which in itself implies wealth. It implies knowledge. He had an understanding of the scriptures. It, it sort of intimates that he might be devout and that people at least respected him, or at least his position. He's, he, we also know that he obviously saw something in Jesus that made him ask this very key question, what do I do to inherit eternal life? 
So he saw something in it. Even though he, the way he asked it wasn't necessarily appropriate, he asked it. And it's a vitally important question. And so he was concerned about his future. I think he was actually quite a bright guy. And his wealth was apparent to all. It says he, he just didn't, he, it wasn't that he just had money in the bank. He had many possessions. And the thing about possessions is they're visible. It's a visible expression of wealth. Some com commentaries have even compared him with Paul. If you think about Paul, he was a young ruler, Pharisee. He had wealth. He came from a wealthy family. So some commentaries have even compared these two. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But what I will do as a comparison, when Paul was called, he left everything and followed God. The rich young ruler, ruler did not. Okay, so there's just a parallel that for me as a preacher on its own, I think it's so rich. You know, as I was unpacking this set of scriptures, I was amazed at how many sermons probably could come out of this particular set of scriptures. So I want to ask, uh, highlight five aspects of the story as we go through. Um, obedience. Sacrifice. And we're going to spend a lot of time on sacrifice. Love. Calling and decision. So we're going to talk about those five aspects that come out of this scripture for me. And before I go into those points, can we just pray quickly? Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. And it's not what we say. It's not the cleverness of our words or my words. Father, it's just what your Holy Spirit does with it. That's vitally important. I pray I say more, no more than what you've given me, but no less than what you've given me. So, Father, I just humble myself before you and say, Father, this is about you. This is about your kingdom. And, Father, may I in my weakness be, be made strong by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So I want to take these things and, and unpack them. Firstly, I'm going to unpack them with re reference to... Um, these set of scriptures, and then I'm going to unpack the same five points again, and as I think they should apply to us, and what, what the implications are for us. So firstly, in the set of scriptures, he talks about obedience to the laws of Moses. In verse 19 and 20, we, we as, as, as Christians, we don't really, you know, so when he says to the guy, he says, obey the laws of Moses, and he says, yes, I have. But for us today, the one thing we've got to look at is more than just the Mosaic law. Jesus, when he was confronted, said, and asked what are the, the greatest commandments, he said, to love the Lord your God. So we're driven by Mosaic law, but far more than that, we, deliver, we are driven by a heart that says, I love God, and I love my neighbor as myself. So we're driven by way more than just this bland obedience to a set of written down laws. And when you obey a set of written down laws, it does take heart. A lifetime of obedience takes heart. But a lifetime of loving obedience takes way more heart. It takes whole heart. I can tick the box of obedience to the Mosaic law, but have no love in my heart. It's meaningless. But when I have love in my heart, Obeying the Mosaic law is the easiest thing in the world. Because if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal from him. Etc. Anyway. 
Secondly, the scripture talks to us and says, um, dealing with the second aspect of love, the scripture says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. And this is in verse 21. And this is in spite of what Jesus knew was in this guy's heart. I'm legalistic, I'll obey the law, but don't touch that which is mine. And Jesus just looks at him and says, I love him with love. He loved him. Thirdly, he spoke about sacrifice. And when it came to the sacrifice part, so let's just settle something in our life. There's no such thing as obedience that comes with no sacrifice. I was going to do an analogy. I was going to send one of you to go and fetch half a glass, half a cup of water and bring it back. And if I unpack that very briefly, you have to get up from your seat. You sacrifice your comfortable chair. You sacrifice sitting next to your family. Then you have to go and obey to go and fetch this cup of water and bring it back. And when you do, you give it to somebody else, you refresh that person. That's what obedience is all about. Huh? You do what God tells you to do, and it requires a sacrifice of some kind. So when he started to deal with this part of the man's life, he knew this guy. He knew this guy inside and out. And guess what? God knows you inside and out. Sorry to say it. Nothing's hidden from God. Nothing. He knows all about our hojos. God challenges this guy on the part of his life that is most treasured. His wealth and his position and his possessions. And it's a little bit like, and the rich and the Euler's response is, I don't share. You know, a little bit like Joey. I don't share. Touch anything else in my life but leave my possessions. And Jesus knew that. And that's where he fingered him. Now, why did God finger him? Why did Jesus finger him on that? Did Jesus need his money? No, he doesn't need our money. What does Jesus need? He needs our faithfulness. He needs our obedience. But more than that, Jesus wants you. It's about you. It's not about what you've got, what you don't have. It's about you. Jesus wants you. He wants to spend eternity with you. So his requirement was knowing what this young ruler was all about, was to say, dude, I'm going to touch you on the thing you hold most dear because it's not me. Okay, and that's what this thing was about. The fourth thing I want to touch on, Jesus says to him, follow me. So it's two actions here. Sell all you've got, give to the poor. Now it's follow me. What does that involve? Well, when he called the other disciples, what, had, what did they do? They left families, they left their homes, they left their careers. So this guy was a man of authority. He was a ruler. That meant leaving everything, his position, the thing that people looked to him for. I wonder if this guy found his identity in his possessions and his, in, the, in the fact that he was a ruler. Was that his identity? And I challenge you guys, and we're going to talk about it as we carry on, but what is your identity? And who is your identity in? What is your solid rock? And then fifthly, there was a time for decision. 
And the Bible says to us, the young man at this point, disheartened, turned away. And I can just imagine what's going on on, on, on his mind. God, this is not, Jesus, this is not the answer I expected. I expected the fact that I was following the commandments was good enough. Jesus debunked his theory. What the Bible doesn't tell us, by the way, is what did this guy do later on? Did he repent and go? Because you remember the, the scripture then goes on to say, it's, it's very hard for the wealthy man to go to, go to heaven as, as hard as a camel going through the eye of the needle. But he says, with God, all things are possible. So we don't know what happened with this guy. And some of the commentaries turn around and say that um, the reason why they say with God all things are possible is that the Holy Spirit is able to change the heart of the, of the hardest man. So the Bible doesn't tell us what happened later on. So look, I want to take these five points and I'm going to go through them again. But we're going to go through them and it's not just for the sake of repetition. I want to look at some other aspects of it. So obedience. I'd like to believe we all do our best to obey the fundamental laws of Christianity. I really do. That's why we're here. So we come here on Sunday because you want to serve God. And I, all be, I want to believe that we all love God with all our hearts and with all our soul and we love our neighbors as ourselves. And there's been a hang of a lot preached on that from this pulpit. So I'm not spending a lot of time on it. I think we know what this obedience to the fundamentals of Christianity mean. So I'm going to move on to point two, love. God loves us full stop. God loves you. There's no buts, there's no ifs, there's no qualifications. God loves you. And we know what the Bible has to say, that God is love. 1 John 4, 8 and 16 both say God is love. He is love. So the implication here is he loves us because of who he is and what he is. God is love. So he loves us. It follows. He has no choice. It's who he is. He's love. And that is in spite of the things in our lives that are not cool, that are not good that are unlovable. I don't know about you, but if you knew what was some of the things that were on in my life, you'd be sort of barring the doors and saying, don't let this man in here. But the scriptures tell us that God loves us in spite of us. And for me, we need to repent, confess our sins, and move on and he will forgive. Often what holds us back in serving God wholeheartedly is the fact that we consider ourselves not worthy. And therefore, God, I want to clean up my act before I can come and follow you and do what you've called me to do. Well, here, let's just deal, settle this thing once and for all. Let's settle it. You are not worthy. 
I am not worthy. We are not worthy. Can we just settle that? Can we get it done and dusted? Can we stop this, God, I'm not good enough, therefore I can't go? Can we stop this, God, I'm not good enough, therefore I can't? Stop it. I said there'd be a stop it. Those know me for my stop it. Seriously, stop it. Have you got it? You know, if we spend our lives doing what God has called us to, wholeheartedly, there's not much space for the rubbish in our lives. There's not much space for us to overanalyze whether we're good enough or not. Just let's get out there and do it. I love the Nike emblem. Just do it. Let's get over ourselves. I mean, by the way, I'm speaking to myself. I mean, it's, you guys are all perfect. I know that. It's just me that I'm speaking to you. You know, and sometimes, you know, it's actually hard to love God. Who's ever struggled loving God? I have from some time. When God's giving me a good hiding and a good pruning, it's not so cool. I can remember when, just before, just when Sylvia and I had got married and Wayne was in the car with me. And he's sitting in the back there and he says, Dad, you know, I don't love you. So I said, oh. Pulled over the car to the side of the road, got out, whack, 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 whack. <laughs> My son, you don't get to say that ever. You can feel it all you want. The only thing you get to say is, Dad, I love you. <laughs> That's how we need to be with God, even when he's disciplining us. We need to understand the reason God chastises you, the Bible tells us, that God chasteneth those whom he loves. So even if you're going through a hard time with God, grin it and bear it because it's in your best interest. And what's more important, learn what he has to teach you fast because then it'll end quickly. But before I get going too far, this thing is a sermon on its own, so I'm not going to have the whole sermon on this. We're going to get into the real stuff now. Point three, sacrifice. There is no serving God in kingdom without there being some sacrifice. If your calling in God is, is to come to church on a Sunday, say your prayers, read your Bible, and serve coffee at the coffee station, it requires a sacrifice. It requires your time. It requires your heart. It requires your headspace. For the coffee, it requires your skill set. It requires a sacrifice of something. You've got to give something of yourself. So it's very important that we look at this aspect of sacrifice and what it means. It requires commitment. Matthew 28 says, go. It's a commandment that applies to each and every one of us in one way or another. You know, everybody on the Go series, and that's why it's a Go series, speaks about what this means. So I just want just a quick recap. Matthew 28 says, go to the ends of the earth. Now, in those days, admittedly, they felt 
they thought the earth was flat. So go to the end of the earth means go to the end of the earth just before you fall off. But in today's context, I, I still think it applies. There's no such thing as the ends of the earth because the earth is a sphere. It's a ball. You show me where the end of the earth is. The circle doesn't have an end. Okay? So that means God's saying go to the whole world. That's what he's speaking about. Go to the whole world. That means it may be as close as your neighbor or as far as outer Mongolia or as Laini and, and Shantae have been there, maybe in India. It may be in your workplace. It may be in your family. It may be in your grocery store. We've all heard this. So I'm just saying that again, just to make sure we get the message. So, the, the other thing I want to point out to you is there are many giftings in ministry. So let's settle it. The mission field is everywhere. Every inch of the world is a mission field. The next thing I want to bring out on this thing is there are many giftings and ministries and roles that need to be fulfilled for the go to be able to happen and be real. There are many. Very often we forget that there's a, a, a ministry called um, the Ministry of Administration. It's one of the ministries, one of the giftings in, in the Bible is administration. So we need all aspects of it. So what we need to do is find out what God's plan and purpose for us in this term, go, is. Last time I looked, God, we know we established God loves us. He has a plan and a purpose for us. And Matthew 28 is very near and dear in his, in his heart. And for, for, for us, we all know why Matthew 28 is so darn important. God wants to spend eternity with as many people as he can because he loves everybody. And it's our duty to make sure he gets that privilege. That's what, that's what Matthew 28 is about. How do we help God have the biggest and most populated heaven imaginable? That's our job. So obedience to God does require sacrifice. Now let's look at a quick definition of sacrifice. We all know it means to slaughter things and make offerings and stuff like that. We've kind of moved on, on from that a little bit in, in our Christian walk. Can you imagine that, slaughtering a cow in the front of the church every Sunday? But sacrifice is an offering to a deity. Or it means to give up something valued for the sake of other considerations. That's what it means to sacrifice. So sacrifice needs to have some kind of cost to us. If it has no cost, it's not a sacrifice. It's just giving away something I don't need anymore. And I just want to take us to the story in Luke about the banquet. Now, in the ESV, it doesn't call it a banquet. It calls it a big dinner. But indulge me. I'm calling it a banquet. And let's just understand what a banquet really and truly is about. I think we've started to use the word banquet inappropriately. A banquet is a, a, a celebration where you are honoring somebody, either for an event or for who they are or whatever it is. Banqueting, a banquet, is a place where you are honoring somebody. So when that scripture in Luke 14, 16, 21 
talks about, and then I'll read it quickly. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a big dinner banquet. He invited many guests, and the day of the banquet arrived. He sent his servant to those who'd been invited, and the servant told them, come, everything is ready now. So I'm going to just stop there for a sec. When you, if, if attending a banquet is to honor somebody, when you don't attend it, what is it saying? I dishonor you. So when we don't hear the call of God, it means we're dishonoring God. Think about that for a minute. But they all had the same idea, and they began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field. I have to go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought, bought five pairs of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. He ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the town and bring those who are poor, bring those who can't walk, the blind and the disabled. He sent and called his second choice. Not his first choice. And trust me, if you don't obey the calling of God, he'll go and find his second choice and call him instead of you. I don't ever want God to do that with me. I want to be his first choice. I don't want to hear him. So let's just unpack that a little bit. The one who bought the field, it talks about money and investment. That's what he had bought the field for. It was an investment. He went to go and look it out and check it out. How's my investment? How am I going to get my return on my investment here? And so the, the challenge is, are we putting money ahead of God and his call on our lives? The second one said, I bought a pair of oxen. Now, you only buy oxen in pairs if you want them to work. Either pull a cart, pull a plow, turn the grinding the grinder, whatever it is. It's the working pairs. They're not just buying them for slaughter. That, to me, speaks of business and career. It's my business. I bought these oxen to help me in my business. I'm going to plow more fields. I'm going to tow more carts. And I will challenge you. Are you putting your business interests and your career ahead of God? They're all important. I'm not asking you to give up your career. I'm in the game of it's not this or that. It's this and that. But which one has predominance in your heart? Your career or God? Or obedience to God? And then the last one had gotten married. And this, to me, speaks of family. And so the question is, and this, for me, is the toughest one. Can you sacrifice time with your family, etc., for the kingdom of God? Are, you, are we putting our families ahead of what God is asking us to do? I know we're not putting them ahead of God. I know that, like you wouldn't be sitting here. But are we putting... Are we putting God's calling on our lives on ice because of our families? And we all know the scripture where Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead and stuff. You know? He's going to look after us, and he will look after our families. There are many other reasons and excuses for not attending to the banquet that God calls us to. And it's what do we do with our leisure time? Where do we spend our hobbies? How much time do we spend staring at screens? How much time do we spend doing these things that distract us from what God has called us? I'm not got a downer on leisure time and having fun. I've just got a downer when it becomes more important to you than God or God's calling. I know nothing's more important to you than God, but let's just call it God's calling. 
But on the flip side, before we all get concerned about what God's going to ask us to, to give up and surrender and, and touch, on the flip side, what's in it for us? In the story of the rich young ruler, ruler in verses 28 to 30, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Now, all of you are my brothers and sisters. Some of you have been a father to me. Some of you have been a son and a daughter to me. I treasure all of you because of that. So God will give us an abundance. But, but with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, we're told in the scriptures constantly that we are going to have hassles in our lives. And for me, part of that is it keeps us focused on God who protects us and sees us through those persecutions. And then I want to draw a quick analogy. God gave us, God's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. God gave us everything. For us, everything for him was his son. He gave us everything. Jesus did the same. Jesus, as a man, he gave up everything. He gave up career, he gave up family, and he even gave up his life. He gave up his home. The Bible says, Jesus said, look, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He gave up, Jesus gave up everything. And then ultimately, we know the ultimate sacrifice was his life. So he's been the example to us and what it means to serve God and be, and be obedient to God. He gave up everything. And then even the Holy Spirit gave up something. Hey, have, you, have you ever thought of that? Jesus says, I go and I will send the Holy Spirit. That implies he had to be sent from wherever he was to come here and look after us. Who wants to know that that's a tough job? <laughs> Sylvia used to say to me every time I claimed on a bicycle the Holy Spirit and the angels cringed <laughs> and put out an alarm call Trevor's on a motorbike again so everybody God has set the example for us as to what he expects he's done it all for us every aspect of the Godhead has done it for us now I want to deal with it so, and it does come with a reward so I hope you're going to find this both challenging and encouraging then the next thing is, not just any sacrifice will do. It needs to be the, God, the sacrifice that God has called us to make, or the sacrifice we need to make to fulfill the calling. Not just any sacrifice will do. And I've taken the example out of 1 Samuel chapter 15. We all know the story about Saul. God sends him and says, go and smite the Amalekites. And I mean smite them. Man, woman, child, beast every living thing. There will be nothing left. I want you to obliterate them, annihilate them. So Saul in his wisdom goes out there and he says, well, let's slaughter them. But he keeps the king alive and he keeps the best animals alive. And then he comes back 
And um, <clears throat> Samuel says to him, and, and, and when Samuel challenges him, he says, have you done what God told you to? He says, yes, I have. He says, well, what's this bleating of sheep that I hear? He says, no, no, don't worry. I brought these back to sacrifice to God. Aren't I a good guy? I've done more than what God asked me to do. Boy, what a good guy am I? And he blatantly stands up and makes a point, not once, not twice, but I think he actually makes it three times. See, I've done what God told me to do. And then Samuel says to him, has the Lord a great, as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So now I just want to deal with something there. This doesn't mean if you obey, you don't have to sacrifice. It's not what that scripture says. This is saying you've got to make a choice between the two. Obedience is the more key. God needs us to do both because obedience requires sacrifice. So let's take that story. Had Saul obeyed God, completely obliterated everybody, and then when he got home, went to his own flocks and herds and grabbed the best of what he had and sacrificed those to God, that would have been a real sacrifice. Here he is sacrificing stolen goods. And say, hey, God, what a good guy am I? It's like me going to Simeon saying, Simeon, give me your wallet. Taking all of his money and putting it in and say, God, what a great offering I've just made. It cost me nothing. A sacrifice is something that has value to us that we're prepared to lay down before God. Does that mean God's going to ask you to lay it down? No. But he's looking for the preparedness to do so. So we need to obey. And in our obedience, sacrifice that which is required of us. You can go and sacrifice more. That's your call. But please at least sacrifice the minimum of what God has called you to do. And we know the story. It's not a sacrifice necessarily out of abundance. Sometimes sacrifice is giving when it's the loss that you've got. I can't remember if I've told the story before. But when we first in this, arrived in this country, we were as poor as church mice. Let me tell you. And my deal with God is, look, God, I can't tithe just yet, but I'm going to work towards it. So whatever's in my wallet on a Sunday is yours. So every Sunday morning, whenever the offering plate came, whatever was in my wallet, now you say, yeah, Trevor, all you did is make sure your wallet was empty every Sunday. <laughs> there was a uniqueness about it. I was never conscious of what was in my wallet for some reason. I think it's something that the Holy Spirit did. says, well, you're going to make that deal. I'm going to do something to you. And so the one Sunday we get there, and I had not, I'd drawn Sylvia's housekeeping money out on Friday afternoon, and I'd forgotten to give it to her. And there's this money sitting in my wallet. I'm thinking, God, and God's sort of saying, yeah, and now, brother? And now, my son? So I took the whole pile out, and I tossed it in the plate. I said, God, that was the deal. Let me tell you, it, as I saw that offering plate coming down, it was, you know, <laughs> I think I need to go to the bathroom now. <laughs> was a tough call you know that month we never had lack and we had nothing in that we, we didn't store stuff up we, we couldn't afford ever to buy in bulk we bought what we need we bought monthly what we needed for the month there was no carryover for that month some reason or another people would come and just just gave us stuff we never told anyone about the story God you cannot out give God so get in touch with that fact. And so what is sometimes sacrifice? Maybe something simple. Making a phone call. 
just getting your, keeping your tithing up to date. Participate in offerings. It may just be a random act of kindness towards somebody else, a phone call, an encouragement. All of that requires some kind of sacrifice on our part. It means taking the time out to go and do it, giving some of your heart to somebody else. All of this is sacrifice to God. And for some of us, it's harder. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not known for being the most charitable human being. So some of the stuff is quite a sacrifice when I need to do it. But God's helped me on that. Number four, establish our calling. You know, when God says, follow me, what does follow me mean in your life? And there's only way I know how to do it. There's some fundamental stuff that we have to do. Matthew 28 is, applies to all of us. But how does it apply? I'm saying to you, search your heart, seek God in prayer, read the word, seek the prophetic for our lives, get wise counsel until we understand what God's plan is for our lives. And then do it on God's terms, not your terms. Please. We need ears that are willing to hear. We need to trust that he loves you and has your best interests in heart. He's not going to ask you to do something that's going to leave you feeling yuck, if I could use such a term. He knows you better than you know yourself. His calling will fulfill you in a way that you could never, ever imagine. I've known in my life the times when I've walked perfectly in obedience to God, I feel his pleasure. I feel peace and a joy in my life that I cannot imagine. But the few the times, and there are many, that I fall out of the where I fall off the bus, God reminds me that his grace is sufficient for me. And I need to just repent and get on with it. Not bemoan that I missed the bus. Stop it, get on the bus. So the, law, the, law, the fifth point that I want to talk about is decision. Having understood what we have to do, we have a decision to make. And I'd like to suggest that once God's call gets a hold of you and you embrace it and submit yourself to it and you decide to follow it, it becomes like the parable of the treasure found in a field. Matthew 13, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, found and covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I want to tell you, God's calling on your life when it's fulfilled and you fulfill it is the greatest treasure you will ever, ever know. That much I'm certain. I've heard more ministers speak about the ministry and the fulfillment in it that I am absolutely convinced and what I've experienced in my own life it is the greatest treasure. Serving God wholeheartedly is the greatest treasure. So in closing, let's just recap a little bit. And trust me, I'm going to be like the typical preacher, so you might hear in closing two or three times. So just have patience. How am I doing on time? You am I okay? All right. We all know the scripture. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust corrupts where neither moth nor rust does corrupt. For where your treasure is, there, your heart, there will your heart be also. God doesn't need, does, not need, does not need us or what we have, but he wants us. He loves us. He wants, you know he wants to spend an eternity with you? 
If you were the last living soul on earth, he would still want to spend eternity with you. Philippians 3, 8 to 14 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss, and this is Paul speaking, because this is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, i.e., that means obeying him and walking with him, not having a righteousness of my own, i.e., hey, I've fulfilled the law, tick the box, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead, straining toward the goal. Not that I've already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, can you imagine if in heaven there was money? Let's imagine for a moment money is a currency in heaven. I can imagine this currency would work like this. It's eternal and it never runs out. So I spend my 10 bucks, I turn around and it's back in my wallet. I spend my 10 bucks and it's back in my wallet. You know, that's kind of like the joy that we're going to experience in God. It's never ending. The peace is never ending. I've turned it into a currency. Forgive me for that. But I want to draw an analogy for you. See all these little fairy lights here? All the way up around there, up around the thing there, etc., etc. Take the fairy light, the very first one by the power cable there. That's your life. That's your whole life. Your whole 70 to 100 years is in that one light bulb. Your eternity is in the rest of them. And how much time do we spend giving attention to the first bulb and neglect the many bulbs? Okay? Now, let's understand something. You guys all know me. I've prepared well for my retirement. I'd like to believe I've not done it at the expense of obedience to God. So I'm not saying we don't do the right thing when we're here on earth in terms of providing for our lives. I'm not suggesting that. What I am suggesting is it's subservient just building towards the many lights. Okay. So your life is but one light bulb. Eternity is the rest. And by the way, the number of bulbs never runs out. Picture the string of fairy lights going ten times between here and the moon. And that's the beginning of eternity. Okay. So thank you. I hope that's been somewhat of a challenge, but more of an encouragement. And I'll leave you with this. God loves you. He's not... Sorry, Siri's trying to talk to me. He's, God loves you. He's not going to do anything that's to your detriment. You can trust that. He's trustworthy, completely and utterly trustworthy. And He loves you. He loves you. Okay. Thank you. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. 
For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.